Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. It's a big week for St. Louis native Corey Finley. He is making his directorial debut with Thoroughbreds, a psychological thriller he also wrote, and that opens in theaters tomorrow. For more about the film and Finley's journey from the Gateway City to playwriting to the silver screen, here is producer Evie Hemphill. The two teenage characters at the center of Thoroughbreds seem like emotional opposites. Social outcast Amanda is coldly rational, while Lily has a mountain of deep and disturbing feelings welling up inside. They find common ground in their shared distaste for Lily's stepfather, and in this clip, Amanda asks Lily if she's ever thought about killing him. I mean, no. Could at least consider it. No. Just weigh the pros and cons. No. Why don't you consider all options? Yeah, not like... Yeah, sure, it's outside the box, but you can only get so far thinking how everyone else thinks. Look at Steve Jobs. What? I'm just going off what you're giving me. It's a cost-benefit analysis. Seems like you could generate a lot of benefit for a lot of people. Except I'd spend the rest of my life in jail. Why are you assuming you'd get caught? Writer and director Corey Finley went to high school at John Burroughs in St. Louis, and I spoke with him yesterday. I asked the 29-year-old what it's like as a first-time film director to see his movie hitting theaters. Uh, it's been a huge pleasure for me, and it's been very surreal. Uh, I came out of the playwriting world, and this is uh, the, sort of you know, my first experience of any kind in film, and, and it's gone um, as wonderfully as I could possibly hope. I've worked with some incredible people. How did this story develop? What went into your decision to create this psychological thriller? It came about in a very sort of roundabout way. And I think when you're writing a play and you really just have these basic ingredients of characters in a room talking and and really all you have is their dialogue, you can sort of let these stories almost reveal themselves to you. You can can, um, just write the characters and sort of follow their conversation into interesting places. And that's very much what happened with this one. I started with this uh, with the setting before anything else. I knew it was going to be in this kind of wealthy enclave um, on the East Coast, sort of a, an unnamed Connecticut town. And um, there was this sort of weird murmur of violence in the air. And, uh, and it was the whole story was kind of this way of for me to, to dive into some of my own complicated mixed feelings about wealth. And um, out of that starting place came these, these two very specific characters with these kind of off-kilter moral worldviews and, uh, and, and the sort of psychological thriller that came out of their meeting uh, followed from there. Yeah, I noticed in your director's statement that you have a real interest in privilege, wealth, and the idea of environments that can insulate people from empathy, I think you wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, what drives that for you? I don't know. I think I, um, it's just something I think about a lot. I think uh, even from like a very young age, I remember going over to the, the homes of like my wealthiest friends and feeling like they were these sort of magical palaces where, where everything was beautiful and clean and easy. Um, and, you know, and, and I, my own parents like worked very hard in their jobs growing up. And I always saw their kind of providing for us as uh, almost a form of love, you know, it was a way mm-hmm. of taking care of us. And, and uh, as I grew older and kind of developed, a, you know, a little more sense of the world, I started to understand the ways in which, like, anything that, anything that one provides for their own family um, is in some very general sense, you know, taken invisibly from some other family that, that you'll never meet, you know, that in this, in this sort of capitalistic world that we live in, 
we're all playing a kind of zero-sum game, and um, and that has that awareness hasn't made me uh, less interested in sort of providing for my own family one day, and I think that's a basic human desire. Um, but I've also certainly become aware of just this kind of this kind of uh, violence in wealth and in the acquisition of wealth, and and that was. The movie, I didn't want to be preachy, I didn't want to write a screed or a really obvious kind of class satire, but I just wanted to sort of sit with those concepts and and see where they took me. Well, I want to talk some more about the film itself in a moment, but can you tell me a little more about your experience growing up in St. Louis and what it was like attending John Burroughs? Yeah, well, I loved John Burroughs, and my mom for many years worked um, in the uh, was a teacher there and then worked in the administration and my my parents have just recently relocated to Pittsburgh actually I've, I've sadly lost my my familial St. Louis tie um, just because my mom has, has started working at um, at another school a wonderful school in Pittsburgh and um, but uh, I had a great experience I mean I um, it was a very certainly Burroughs is a very rigorous academic environment. Um, it, it was certainly very competitive, and um, I think there's, you know, uh, a little bit of that uh, competitiveness in sort of a heightened way um, represented in this movie. Um, certainly, this this movie depicts a very kind of dark, hopeless uh, world for the lead characters, including their kind of school experience. And that was mm-hmm. not at all my experience at Burroughs. I had a wonderful support network and really caring teachers and all of the above. But um, but I certainly um, was aware of the, the dark places that teens can drive themselves with their own, you know, the weight of their own expectations on them. And after high school, how did you wind up in the world of playwriting? Yeah, I took a well. I took a little bit of a roundabout path. Uh, I went to Yale and I studied English there with a uh, we called it a concentration in playwriting, and um, had some amazing mentors there, and went on from Yale briefly to um, the Arizona Republic. I, I worked for a summer in journalism um, because I I had this strong sense that I needed like a real capital J job right out of college, um, and I liked that a lot. But I really missed sort of dramatic writing and fictional writing. And so I moved to New York afterward and had a series of day jobs and uh, and wrote as much as possible and kind of put my plays up anywhere I could possibly put them up and with whatever friends I could convince to do them. Um, eventually joined a really great uh, playwriting group that sort of became a home base and then, uh, and then, and then just kept sort of refining the craft. What have you found to be some of the differences between writing for stage and for screen? Yeah, I think they're huge, and I'm still exploring those differences. Um, I think you can fit a lot more story into a movie, and therefore I think movies demand a lot more story and more just density of incident, more stuff happening. Uh, and, and you know, when you have the power of the cut and you can just jump instantly from one location to another, from one set of circumstances to another, um, and when you have total control over the placement of the camera, um, you have uh, a lot more storytelling tools and you have a lot more kind of levers by which to control the tone of the movie. You have music and you have you have music in place too, but you just have a lot more direct control over the tone. Um, I think theater does have this inherent immediacy that's really exciting. There's, there's something that's really visceral about having live bodies in the room with you um, and seeing something unfold in real time. Um, but there's, there's just such a, um, such a, a, a number of different ways to, to control your storytelling in film. 
I did get to attend a preview screening at the High Point earlier this week, and oh, one of the things I was struck with right away was the use of sound in Thoroughbreds. Uh, it seemed like it was used to really maintain a sense of dread or doom, even though there's lots of humor and lighter moments, too. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about how that sound element and, and the cinematography brought your vision for the story to life? Yeah, I um, I think the, the movie, you know, I was talking earlier about how it's kind of wrapped up in all these complicated, uh, my own complicated feelings about wealth. And because it's set in this very kind of extravagant environment, it's a very kind of visually lush movie. And we're spending a lot of time in this really gorgeous home and these very expensive clothes and all that sort of thing. And I didn't want the movie ever to feel like a luxury goods commercial. You know, I didn't want it to feel too kind of seductively pretty. Um, and, and sound design became a really important way to influence that. So some of the movies I really love, I often think of the, the movies of David Lynch in particular, but a lot of movies that I love um, do really amazing stuff with sound and, and just sort of pluck at your at your. Uh, not not your heartstrings, but you know your 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 nerves. Pluck at your nerves um, with sound, and so we did that as much as possible. And then I had an amazing composer uh, work on the movie named Eric Friedlander, who created this score that has a lot of the same effects. And you also had a really talented cast you were working with, and that included yeah. the late Anton Yelchin, who's perhaps best known for his role in Star Trek Beyond. What yeah. was it like to work with him? It was amazing to work with Anton. I think people do probably know him best from Star Trek, and if, if people appreciated him in, in those movies or in this one, um, I would encourage them all to check out his body of work because he, he really did um, work on an incredible range of movies and uh, just sort of elevated every role that he touched. He was an amazing actor, um, just kind of a radiant human being, just one of the like most just sort of fundamentally good people you could spend time with. Um, and, and such a like deep scholar of film. He had such a knowledge of film history. He was so deliberate about sort of the influences he would play with as an actor. And he was just very intellectually motivated in that way. Um, but that never, never made his performances or his presence on set feel overstudied. He was also really, really spontaneous. Um, so I'm, I'm super grateful to have had that chance to work with him. What was it like? I'm curious what it was like um, to kind of have the initial idea for Thoroughbreds and then kind of go through the several year long process of waiting to actually see the film come to fruition. How did you, you know, keep your momentum throughout that process? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's been an interesting start and stop because the the play developed in a very leisurely way over two, two plus years, essentially, of like putting it away for a while, taking it out, rewriting it, uh, making big changes. Um, and then we had this very narrow window of availability for our actors. Um, in particular, Olivia Cook was going to go shoot Ready Player One, the big uh, Steven Spielberg movie that's going to come out shortly. And um, so after this very leisurely process, we had to sort of cram to get the the, the film adapted into into a screenplay, and that whole thing happened in about a month, um, and that was super rapid. And then we were shooting two months later. We shot over 22 days, which is pretty uh, 
it's pretty short for a movie like this. Mm-hmm. And then and then after that, we premiered at that year's Sundance, and then it's been a year plus since our Sundance premiere. Um, so it's it's very exciting to finally be coming out. I've definitely been living with the movie a really long time, and I've seen you know I think the way that it signifies politically uh, keep changing and hopefully deepening as as the world has changed around it. And um, and yeah, I'm just excited to to hear what people think. Would you have any advice for aspiring writers and directors? Well, one of the things that it took me some time to figure out is just that um, that a director can be has to be very direct and very forceful um, about what he or she wants on on set, and and not as uh, maybe the wrong way to put it, not necessarily forceful, but I, I tend to be a very uh, accommodating guy in general, and I had to learn that it's okay to be a little bit blunt. It's okay to um, to come in with a clear I- idea of, of what I'm looking for, uh, because that actually gives the other, it gives the actors, it gives the, 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 all the sort of department heads, all the technical folks, um, room to do their jobs. If you come in with a, a, a strong take, uh, they can then, can then, you know, uh, play off of that and find different ways to, to, to work within that realm of possibilities. Um, and so, yeah, I had to learn that there is a way to be forceful without being selfish. And um, so just, yes, to be very confident and very direct, I think, is good, is good advice for, uh, for aspiring filmmakers. Well, what's next for you as you look towards your next project? Uh, well, I have a couple different things that are in development, and um, none of them are, are quite kind of at the stage to where I'm where I'm able to talk about them publicly, sadly. Mm-hmm. But um, but I'm definitely interested in sort of continuing to work on larger canvases and, and to sort of expand the scope of the movies that I'm working on. Um, but I always want to be telling very specific character stories um, and portraits of, of unusual people. And um, and I want to be telling stories that, that feel close to my heart and that are, are wrestling with something that's gnawing at me. Um, so the projects that I'm working on now are, are very much in that vein. And um, I'll be excited to see how they turn out. I understand you're based in New York City these days, but are there favorite things about St. Louis that you still remember from growing up? Oh, yeah. Well, it's a cliche, but Ted Drew's, I really miss my uh, my frozen <laughs> custard here in here in New York. And um, yeah, and I, I, I don't know. I just loved, um, I love the city. I love, um, you know, New York is a wonderful place in a lot of ways, but I miss the kind of uh, warmth of the people in St. Louis. And, and it felt like, you know, the, the city, it was a big enough city to feel like a city, but it felt like there was a community there. And, and um, sometimes New York can be a little bit more impersonal. And um, even just silly things like how incredibly stoked everyone would get when the Cardinals were in the playoffs. Um, those were some of my warmest memories, just the way that it felt like the city's mood improved as a whole uh, <laughs> back in whatever it was, 2011, when we last won the, the World Series. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I have a lot of fond memories of, of St. Louis, and I always enjoy coming back. That was St. Louis-born filmmaker Corey Finley talking with producer Evie Hemphill about his new movie, Thoroughbreds. It opens in theaters tomorrow. Thanks for listening. I'm Don Marsh.